Well, if you have Bibles, you might like to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. The title of my sermon today is An Audience of One. An Audience of One. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is a passage from the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, preached by Jesus himself. And when the Holy Spirit comes in great power in people's lives, the most important work that he does is change them from the inside out. Thank God for miracles and healings and, uh, and, and supernatural demonstrations of God. All those things are wonderful, but they are periphery to what the Holy Spirit does when he comes in power. The major work of the Holy Spirit on the earth today is in the hearts of human beings. So as the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, and I'm sure that he is, the question is, what is he doing and how is he working on the inside of you? If the Holy Spirit is doing a miraculous, supernatural work on the inside of you, do you know what he's going to do and do you know how to cooperate with him? You see, the Holy Spirit is the great kingdom builder in our lives. Uh, but he doesn't just build this way and that. The Holy Spirit has a blueprint and that blueprint is the word of God. So when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, the characteristics that you find about the people that are in the Sermon on the Mount, because the Sermon on the Mount is a blueprint for spirit-filled living. If you want to know what a person in revival looks like, then look at the Sermon on the Mount and you will find out it's a blueprint. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in you, then go to the Sermon on the Mount or the fruit of the Holy Spirit and you'll find that he is working these principles in your life. How can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit when he's trying to do a powerful work in our life if we don't even know what he's doing or what he's trying to achieve? You could go to the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be mercy, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we come to this passage in verse 6, we are seeing a picture of how a spirit-filled Christian lives. He doesn't look for the praise and attention of 
others that are around him, but he seeks the praise and attention of one person alone. The spirit-filled Christian has an audience of one. Everything he or she does, says, their response and their values in life is all about what the audience of the Father is thinking. And much of the spirit-filled spirit Christian's real life takes place in secret. We build a secret legacy that nobody knows but the Father who gives us our reward. An audience of one. You know, Shakespeare said this in his play, As You Like It. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. Think about that for a while. If we look at our lives as a stage production, and uh, we have our entrance, uh, it's Mother's Days, every, every mother's remembering the entrance of their child into this world, and of course we have our final curtain call. And Shakespeare says we are merely players. Well, what if God views your life as a stage production? Not that it's acting, but it's a real life stage production. And God is watching you. Now, the Pharisees that we just read about, well, they played to the crowds of the people that were around them. Uh, they did their works as a performance so that people could applaud them and say, wow, what incredible godly people, what pillars of the community. Look at how they gave, look at how they pray, look at how they act. In fact, they always seem to in a, be in a place where we can see them. They're always talking about themselves and the good things that they do and the wonderful person that they are. You can't help but notice how wonderful they are because they're telling us all the time and they're showing us all the time. You see, the Pharisees were playing for the applause of the audience of people around them. They were looking for a standing ovation from the society that they thought that they were pillars in. Their giving was done in public. Have you ever seen those companies and they give to a charity? Uh, but we all know about it because it's in the local paper. And there's the CEO or the leader of the company and they're, in, they're, they're, they're presenting a check to the charity that's so big you can't help but see the thousands of pounds that they're giving. Well, thank God that they're giving to charity, but they also know that if they do their charity giving in, giving in public, they'll get a public reward. People will say, what a great company is that gives to A, B or C charity. Oh, I'm definitely going to go and shop with them. So they know that as good as it is to give to charity, it will also increase their customer base. Well, this is a bit like how the Pharisees lived their lives. They wanted people to think well of them, and especially important people, or people with resources, or people that, that could help them on their road to success that they so sorely need. So they spent their times pleasing important people because important people could give them what they needed. And indeed, if they did it right, they would get their reward. They would get the reward of the adoring crowds that believed the hype that they were giving. They would get the reward of the, of the people that they, they sought to honour and, and sought to bless so that they could be blessed. But this is not what Jesus says the spirit-filled Christian looks for. The spirit-filled Christian is always aware or growingly aware that they are in the presence of an audience of one. One person watching their actions, 
one person listening to what they're saying and one person that really only counts. Not only seeing what they do in public, but what they say in private about the people they're so nice to in public. An audience of one. Your father who sees in secret from heaven. I remember a number of years ago, uh, one of my wife's greatest school friends came down from Scotland with her nine-year-old daughter to spend a few days with us. Now, uh, her daughter and her, I suppose, come from a, a big entertaining family background. Uh, their parents and grandparents on her father's side were great Scottish entertainers. Her mother, my, my uh, wife's friend, she was a, a, a lead dancer on the cruises and then a dance teacher. Her father is presently one of the top Scottish entertainers uh, around today and she was obviously going to follow in their footsteps. So while she was there for a few days, uh, the girl came to me, nine-year-old, and said, this evening, I'm going to put on a performance just for you. I thought, oh, that'll be nice. It'll be a three-minute song or something. Well, that, that's nice. All right, okay, well, that'll be lovely. Well, I didn't hear, see her for the rest of the day, but I heard her in the playroom. I heard her singing. I heard the clanking of her feet as she was dancing. I heard her in her acting. All these things I could hear in the background. I thought, she's taking a long time for just a short performance. Well, when the evening came and she sat me down in the sofa and she'd got everything ready and she'd set her own stage and she came on and for 20 minutes, she sang, she danced, she did little soliloquies, she did this wonderful program that had taken her the whole day to do just for me. I was an audience of one and I, I felt really honoured at the end of it. And now she's uh, in her mid-teens and she's uh, involved in Starlight Express in Scotland. So she is, uh, she is now growing like her family before her and speaking to a wide audience. But I had my moment. I'm going to remember that when she gets her Oscar. I had that moment when I was her only audience of one. Well, this passage is saying that God wants to be your audience of one. If life is a stage... If you have your entrances, then surely you also have your different scenes and your different acts, don't you, of life. You know in a play you have act one and act two and act three, and these are acts, the sort of seasons, aren't they? So an act in the play of your life, although it's real, the act in, say, your stage presentation, it could be that you spent a time in study somewhere, and that was Act 1, or you spent a play time in this particular nation, that might be Act 2, the seasons of life. But also in those acts and seasons of life that God brings you into, uh, there are many different scenes that take place. You know scenes in a play, they're a snapshot or an element of something that happens. And, and sometimes in our lives, uh, the scenes that we're involved in can be terribly exciting. You remember the scene when you had that interview and you got the job? Or that scene when you went on, uh, mothers, when you went on your first date with the person who became your child's father? Sometimes scenes can have incredible importance in our lives, but often scenes can be mundane and boring. Uh, getting the kids ready for the school run. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fi Friday, weekend off, Monday, repeat. It's a scene. But all these scenes, whether they're powerful, life-changing moments, or day-to-day -day routine scenes of life, God is watching. Your life 
is a royal command performance. And it's to an audience of one, your father, who's sitting in the royal box and he's watching you. And he's watching you when you're out at work, and he's watching you when you're at church, but he's also watching you when you're at home cooking, and he's watching you when you're by yourself, and he's watching you, and, and he is totally absorbed with the performance that you're giving. I'm speaking in theatre terms here. Last Sunday evening, we had the Oscars, and uh, people were... Humans were giving out accolades to other humans for how well their performance had done in, in, in the realm of entertainment. People honouring people. But God does not want us to perform our righteousness for the reward of people. That should not be our motivation. It was to the Pharisees. We see they pray in the synagogues that they may be seen by others. They uh, give they give so that they can be praised by others. Their whole life orientation was to perform in front of others. And you know what? Some of it was a performance. Because those that prayed in public didn't pray in private. That's the idea here. Those that gave so everybody could see wouldn't give to the person in need when there was nobody around to look. Their whole life was about manipulating people around them to like them, praise them, resource them so that they could get a reward from them. James understood this when he wrote his letter. And the people that James wrote to were under severe pressure and persecution. And, and they really needed help in their lives. But instead of going to the father who sees their praying in secret, uh, those that James wrote to were going to look for the people with the resources. So the moment a rich person came into the congregation, they all flocked towards that person. They wanted to get to know them. They invited them to the vestry at the end of the service for tea and biscuits. They wondered whether they were free for a dinner date later on in the week. They wondered whether they would join their particular cell group. Why? Because this person... If you treated them right, if you got on the inside, if they liked you and praised you and thought that you were a great person, they might write you that check you need. They might give you that job that you wanted. And so all of a sudden these Pharisees were, were conscious that how people around them viewed them would get them a reward. But God, Jesus said, well, you'll get your reward from these people that you're playing to and the applause that you're seeking. But you will get your reward, but you won't get anything from God. You know, Jesus lived for an audience of one. All he cared about was what his father thought about him. Now, that, everything he did was under the motivation of, what do you think, Father? Is this your will, Father? Not my will, but yours be done, Father. I won't do anything, Father, unless uh, I see you want me to do it. I'm living my life under the eyes and gaze of my Father, and I'm here to please him 24-7, whether that pleases you or not. And we see this, Jesus with the crowds, he, wasn't, he never played to the crowds. Never played to the crowds. He never took healings and said, look at the healing that I've just done. He let others praise his healings. In fact, usually when he healed someone, he said, shh, go away. Don't tell anyone. I'm too busy. The healings could speak for themselves. He was too busy transforming inside lives. That's what he was about. 
And so we read in John chapter 5, 41, following, about praise and honour from God and praise and honour from people. John 5, 41. I, this is Jesus speaking, I do not receive glory or honour from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory, glory and honour from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? First and foremost, Jesus lived his life with an audience of one which is what this passage in Matthew 6 is telling us. It's saying, do it in secret. Well, then nobody will see. Your father will see. Well, what will that do? You'll get a reward, the father's reward. I'll come to that in a minute. Uh, do your praying in secret. Well, nobody knows how much I've been praying, unless you tell them on Facebook. <laughs> I saw someone put a post on Facebook a few days ago, and it says, you won't be able to find me because I'll be in my prayer closet all the time. So don't go into your secret place and keep it a secret. In fact, make it public how you're going into your secret place. <laughs> the person didn't mean anything by it, but I thought it was funny all, all, all the more. But here it's going, to, but then nobody knows that I'm praying. Nobody knows. Yes, somebody does know. The audience of one. So often in our lives, you will find that the most professional, uh, the most uh, important parts of your life are played before nobody but the Father. It's what you choose not to do. Nobody knows you that you didn't do it. No, because you didn't do it. But the reason you chose not to do it, because you wanted to go God's way, not man's way. Your attitudes, the way you treat people, who you go and, and, and look after. You're not going around looking for the applause of people around you or those with the resources who give you what you want and then play to them. You don't need that because you're not looking for that reward. You're free to minister to those that have nothing. James said, what about the poor person? Nobody gives uh, a hoot about the poor person. That's because he's got no reward to give anyone. Remember, the Pharisees played for the rewards that others could give them. God says that we should love even our enemies who can not only give us, who, who will not only give us reward, will not only not give us rewards, but they'll take what we've already got. Because your enemy doesn't bless you, he, he, he attacks you or she attacks you, she takes from you, they want to uh, they beat you, they, you know, this is, this is, this is the point, then, you, then what's going to happen to us? Listen, God says that if you go his way, do what's secret, and that you, you live life with an audience of one, then you will get his reward. But it will mean that you won't get the reward from those around you. There's two ways of living life. By hoping that people are going to give you what you need and playing and acting accordingly. It says that the he says, don't be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite in the Greek means a play actor, putting on a face. Have you ever met somebody who suddenly changes their whole demeanour when somebody important comes in? They can't be bothered with anybody else, but when somebody important or got a bit of money or got a bit of status comes in, they suddenly come alive. Hi, how are you? What is it? It's a play act. It's a Pharisee seeking to get a reward. They don't care about that person. They care about what that person has. They live their lives as hypocrites, actors, fake actors in a fake scene for fake rewards. 
There's, there's no reason. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to, the lose, to lose the reward of people to gain the reward of God? Are you prepared to lose that which you cannot keep in order to receive that which you cannot lose? You see, if you put God first, there are going to be times when you lose these Pharisee rewards. If, if you don't play the game, you won't get the rewards of the game. And so this is why even in the ministry at times you can get people that change their theology to please the society around them. Whatever society believes about this, that and the other, then the preacher changes it because they don't want to offend society. And if they don't offend society, they get the rewards that come back from society. They can go on the major TV channels and they'll be put up as, as, as the, uh, the, the minister who's got a view that we all agree with in, in the world. And doors will open for them. They'll be able to walk the corridors of power alongside those that hold political power because they choose not to say anything that would speak against what those in political power. What's that? That's exactly what we're reading here. So they get the TV programs, they get to walk in the corridors of power, they get to, 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 to get the ground from government, they get all of these rewards, but at what cost? The audience of one is not smiling and sending out for more popcorn. The audience of one is thinking, what's going on here? But the person doesn't care about an audience of one, he cares about those that have the resources around him. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what this chapter 6 of Matthew is talking all about. So what does it mean to have an audience of one? To make your decisions as the scenes of life, on the stage of life, the scenes come and the scenes go, and in those scenes you're thinking, what does a father want me to do? What would please the father in this situation? And this can happen in mundane things and, important, and, and great things. Say, say to people that are struggling in their marriage, if they think to themselves, how I treat my wife or how I treat my husband, somebody is watching, what would the father want me to do? Would they be so cruel to one another or unkind to one another? No, you would say, I need to treat my wife according to my father's pleasure. How about at the workplace? Is there somebody at the workplace that nobody really wants to sit with during the break? They're a little bit awkward. They don't have any resources. They're a little bit strange. It's a bit hard work to be around them. And so you graviate to those that make you laugh, laugh those that are the powerful ones, those, those, that, those that give you something uh, yourself. Well, well, how about saying, well, what does my father think? Maybe the father would like to see you go and spend time with the powerless rather than the powerful. You might lose what the powerful will give you. I'm not here to, to give you fake promises today. If you choose not to go the way of the Pharisees, you won't get their rewards. If, if you choose not to go their way, to try and act and get from those that are important, you won't get what the important will give you. And you'll lose. Sometimes in life, to please the Father, you have to lose. Are you ready to lose? It, it takes a real, a real sobering up spiritually to say, if I go God's way, I'm going to lose here. Yes, you are. But then we think, no, no, he'll 
make me victorious again, you know. Well, maybe he will or maybe he won't. Maybe he will or maybe he won't. Are you still prepared to lose to make your audience of one smile? I mean, I've said that the Sermon on the Mount is, is a picture of a spirit-filled Christian. God is trying to make you like the Sermon on the Mount. And look at some of the things we're told. We're told that if someone sues you for your shirt, you're to give them your coat too. Wait a second. Someone is treating me so badly they're taking my shirt. You tell me to give them my coat? That's crazy. What about a Roman soldier in those days could force anyone to march a mile carrying their kit? And you'd think, well, that's terrible. What an abuse of power. And Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile with them, go, go two miles with them. Well, wait a second. You're telling me, Lord, someone's taking my shirt, give them my coat. I'm going to be walking around freezing. Don't necessarily think that the Holy Spirit will suddenly drop you an Armani Gucci wardrobe in the next few moments when you've done it, because you've sowed, so you've got to reap. Or, or, or if um, you're, go, you're, you're going this extra mile with a Roman soldier, and then he says, right, your time's up, and you're going to go an extra mile with him, not an extra, you've done the mile you have to, and then you do the extra mile. Don't think that necessarily that the Roman soldier is going to fall on his knees and go, oh, praise Jesus, I never met someone like you before. I, I, I give my life to the Lord. He might not even be thankful for it. There may be no reward for doing it. Your boss tells you to stay late and you uh, think, will I get overtime for it? No. And you don't like your boss. Do you stay late? If this was in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, when your boss tells you to stay, stay late for no reason or payment, stay late and stay late again. But then you think, wait a second, that's abuse, I've lost. No, you haven't lost. You put yourself in a place where the Father can reward you. You see, this is totally counterintuitive. This is why most theologians can't cope with the Sermon on the Mount. They, they build rules and regulations to take away the sharpness of the edge that's here. They build extra boundaries so that you would never go the extra mile. You would never give the extra coat. Why? Because of boundaries. But that assumes that there isn't a Father in Heaven that's watching. There's some radical lifestyles that Holy Spirit is involved in producing. More important than miracles or healings that can happen like this, big deal. Big deal. More important is the miracle of a changed life that becomes a radical follower of Jesus that does the counterintuitive thing. Does the things where they would suffer loss because they have faith that the Father sees. Now, these are principles. These are principles. These are the type of situations spirit-filled Christians find themselves in and the type of responses that they give. They're not new laws. In every given situation, you look to the pattern of the building of a Holy Spirit Christian. Sermon on the Mount, fruit of the Spirit, wisdom from above. You look, you learn the word like I'm giving you today. And then in that particular situation, you go to the Father in the secret place and the Holy Spirit. You say, Lord, what am I meant to do in this situation? The Holy Spirit will take this pattern and this is part of the pattern I'm giving you today, he will take this pattern, the audience of one, and he will show you what it means to you in the next scene of your life that's played out today or tomorrow. 
Or you're in a difficult scene in your life and you don't know what to do. You've got the principles that are here. The Holy Spirit will never go against the principles that are here. And they'll give you clues to what he's going to show you to do. But in prayer, he will guide you. And often it will be the counterintuitive thing. And it may mean that you lose the Pharisee's reward. Well, enough about that. What is this reward that the Father who deals in secret gives to those that have an audience of one? Everything they do or try to do, everything they say or try to do, they're conscious that they have an audience. Not people so much, although people are important, love your neighbour, but more important is what does the Father think about this behaviour, this action, this situation? Because in this scene of my life, it's the father I want to make please. Well, he promises again and again that your father will reward you. Well, what is the father's reward? Well, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he gives us the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. But he doesn't finish his teaching at the end of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the teaching straight after the Lord's Prayer is necessary because he knows if he doesn't give it to us, we won't pray the Lord's Prayer. What do I mean? The Lord knows that the Lord's Prayer is not enough because what will happen is, is that we will become discouraged that God is not answering quickly enough and accurately enough our prayers and we will give up. So that's why Jesus, after it, teaches us to pray, to ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking because prayer is an end in itself. In the seeking, God is changing you. In the asking, God is moulding you. In the knocking, God is touching you. God does more in the process of prayer than he does when he answers it. That's why there's a delay, because the Holy Ghost is working on the inside. Patience, trust, walking through the scene, scenes of God with no reward. You're going God's way, yet no reward. You still go God's way, yet no reward. In fact, you're losing what the Pharisees would have already got by now, but you're trusting, you're praying, you're seeking, you're growing, you're being spirit-filled. God is refining you, turning you into a hardcore, cutting-edge Christian all the time. When you feel you're at your worst, Worst, when you feel that God has abandoned you, he is actually producing such strength and maturity in you that you'll be able to cope with the anointing that's coming your way. And then at the end, it, then at the end it says, right, you've been praying. You've been asking and asking and asking and asking like a child asking for a present. You've been seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking. You've been knocking like a Jehovah's Witness. You won't stop till that door's open. And then Finally, you get the result, you'll get the reward of the Father. Luke, Matthew says this, and Luke says this, they both say this. If you being evil, and your child asks you for bread, or an egg, or a fish, would you give them a scorpion, a snake, or a stone? Of course you wouldn't. Well, if that's your attitude to your children, how much more will the Father, and Matthew says this, give good gifts to those who seek him? But Luke steps back, and Jesus would have preached this message many times, and he said, what is the sum total of good gifts? If we're talking about rewards from the Father, what is the greatest reward that the Father can give to a person? It's the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift that God can give to a human being on this earth 
is the Holy Spirit. And the greatest blessing or reward that God can give is more of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he brings everything that you ever will need with him. Seek first, let me put it this way, seek first more of the Holy Spirit and all these other things will come along. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings blessing with him as well as his deep work in our lives. So the more of the Holy Spirit you have, the more reward of God you've got. You have God's affirmation, God's acceptance, God's provision. The Holy Spirit can give you whatever you need whenever you want it. The more of the Holy Spirit, the more provision. Not for greed, but for need. The Holy Spirit is the greatest thing that we can have. And so God rewards us with his presence. He rewards us with more of his Holy Spirit, rewards us with an increased growth factor in our lives. We become, if we put the Father as the audience of one, even for a few weeks, you will become more like God in those few weeks than you will in decades of living like the Pharisees and presenting yourself for the reward and benefit of others. Can I get a witness in this place today? Each day brings new scenes in the performance, although it's real life, of your life. We have our entrances, Shakespeare says, and we have our exits. Let's come to our exits. There is a final curtain for us all. If Jesus tarries, there'll be a moment when the curtain on our lives falls and Shakespeare's show will be over for us. You know, I've noticed that uh, at a certain stage in life, famous people, prominent politicians, prominent uh, Christian famous ministers as well, at a certain stage or age, they begin to think about what we call their legacy. What will they leave behind when the curtain falls on their life? What, how will people remember them when the curtain falls on their life? Their legacy. Someone asked Winston Churchill about his legacy and, and, and how people remember him and uh, what he will leave behind. And he said this, Winston Churchill, he said, History will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. So he was going to write the history about himself so that he could look good in it. What about obituaries? You know, you read someone famous dies and you go to the newspaper and you've got their whole story of their public life, and you, usually it's a glowing obituary, that's why they're in there, of the things they did and the accomplishments that they did. And those obituaries, most of it is written ahead. Uh, ahead. You know, they have, in the, the major newspapers, every famous person, they, they, have, they have reporters that have already written their obituary. So if some famous person dies in a uh, plane crash tomorrow, they don't have to go, well, when, did he, when was he born? They said, here it is. We got everything up to the plane crash. And they put it in. The whole of their life has already been written for public consumption. Well, you know, God, God, he is the stage critic. And when the curtain falls, he will sit down and he will write his review of your performance, whether it was a performance to one or to a performance to, to many. And unlike many of the obituaries that we read of famous people in the newspapers, God will also record the secret aspects of our life. 
Funny, isn't it, how somebody can, be, can look so good on the outside publicly, but you don't know their secret life. But God does. And sometimes we see this in public life. Do you remember when Jimmy Savile died? Everybody was, what an amazing person, how wonderful. A year later, when the secret life got out, they even removed his headstone. Well, God sees the public and he sees the secret. And what's most important to God is what you do in secret or when nobody knows, you do it for his love and reward alone. That is the greatest act of worship that you can give. I finish with this. Billy Graham, who died a few weeks ago and his, the curtain on his life fell. Well, while he was alive, someone asked him uh, what he'd like people to say about him when he died. And he said this, I want to hear one person say something nice about me, and that's the Lord. When I face him, I want him to say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Listen, people around you might not say well done to you. People around you might even not know what you're going through or how you're handling things. People around you might not rate you, but in the end, it's important what people think of you, but in the end, that don't matter. What really matters is what God thinks of you. And Billy Graham knew that. Billy Graham knew that. And he didn't, he didn't wait till the end to say, oh, what's, oh, I'm gonna die in a few weeks time, a few, what's God thinking? He lived that throughout his life. Friends, the Holy Spirit is working in your life, but according to a pattern. It's not just this, that, and the other. He's working according to the pattern and blueprint of the Word of God. He's a God of order. Uh, 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 he is taking the architect's plans, such as the Sermon on the Mount, and he is working in your lives and circumstances to produce something miraculous and supernatural in your character. You are before the Father's throne today. And whatever your week brings, whether it's a scene that goes through your life of mundane, repetitive actions, God is enthralled in how you deal with the mundane, because how you deal with the mundane will teach you and train you to deal with the extraordinary. If you can't deal with the mundane, the school trips, as it were, you'll never be able to deal with the extraordinary. God is taking and allowing some of you to go through tests and difficulties so that one day you'll be prepared for the greatest test, which is the test of his blessing and whether you can handle that. Nothing is wasted, friends. Nothing is wasted in the great production of your life before an audience of one. If you play to the royal box and not to the crowds, you'll find things will begin to change in your life. You'll be taking steps, saying things, doing things, refraining from saying things, refraining from doing things, purely trusting the Father, losing the reward that that might gave, get you from the Pharisees, but giving you a blessing that God alone can give you more of his Holy Spirit and power.